Keepers of the Flame, the classic metal podcast with Rev Taylor and Darren Wall. Reviews, interviews, and conversation since 2021. Hello, it's Sunday evening, and welcome back to episode six of Keepers of the Flame, the classic metal podcast. Um, it's late on a Sunday, so it's time to end our weekend right with some heavy metal discussion and a choice beverage, which mine uh, this week is Gravity Drop Baltic-style porter from a brewery called Wayfinder out of Portland. Um, interesting thing about the Baltic porter is it's actually a lager. It's made, a Baltic porter is made with lager yeast, and it's lagered in that same style. Uh, mm-hmm. Wayfinder Brewing out of Portland is known for their lagers, so it's no surprise that this this Baltic Porter from them is, uh, I'd say, about a 10 out of 10. It's a beautiful, beautiful beverage. So my name's Darren Wall, and with me is my co-host, Rev. Rev. How you doing, brother? Doing well. I've got Thanks, my uh, rye and ginger ale here, which uh, you told me about. It's a Canadian drink, he said. So Rye and ginger, man. Rum and Coke, yep. rye and ginger. That's the law out there. That's no, the official law. But. It, it, it works really well. It's just got this nice kind of bittersweet taste. I've always liked ginger like whiskey really can't beat it so yeah yeah been enjoying that this week getting me through the uh, snowy weekend yes yeah, so we're coming to a... you guys from seattle if you don't know and it dumped a pile of snow on us this week so <laughs> we've all been having to do with deal with that and the pandemic so we're double lockdown this weekend yeah but you know all the black metal bands are like holy shit we got to do a photo shoot you know they're all running to the forest and most of them are just one or two people anyway, so they don't even have to break any rules for the quarantine. Right. <laughs> they can just go take a picture. But yeah, I mean, all those local guys that want a snow-packed photo shoot, this makes it pretty easy. You can go to the mall or whatever and take your black metal photos <laughs> in, the, in the park where the kids play or whatever. Yep. Um, all right, so we got a really – I'm really looking forward to this week's show. Um, we've got a, one review coming up. Of course, we'll have our picks of the week, and then we'll have some – uh, free form discussion about a, another topic towards the end. Um, so our album we're talking about this week is the latest album from the band Pounder called Breaking the World. And this album just came out. It came out on the 29th of January. So it's only been out a couple weeks. It's brand new. Um, if you're not familiar with Pounder, um, I actually uh, played a show with these guys a couple years ago with Skeletor. I want to say it was 2018 or 2019, but we played with them at the it was, we played with them and Gygax at the High Line. And that was a fun show. I had a really good time watching these guys. Um, they, this band's only been around since 2017. Um, but, of course, the members of this band have been around a lot longer. These guys are made up of veterans. Some of these guys have been in bands like Carcass and Exhumed. Like, these guys are, you know, these, these guys are some heavy hitters um, as far as the underground metal scene. They're out of Los Angeles. Since 2017, they've done two full lengths, an EP, uh, a bunch of demos. Um, this album is out uh, on Shadow Kingdom Records, which is a great label. Um, so good on them for uh, putting putting it out on a wicked label like that. That's a huge accomplishment. Um, this one, these guys, so these guys are a bunch of death metal guys um, that are playing stuff that's a lot more traditional sounding. And for me, the if I'm going to do the old thing that all of us metalheads do and go, what does it sound like? Um, I definitely, the main thing I hear is uh, Motorhead um, and the new wave of British heavy metal, stuff like Saxon, Tank, um, Tigers of Pantang, Praying Mantis, some, some of the older Def Leppard stuff. Um, but then there's like some, 
it gets into the power metal realm a little bit. And then it also has some like sunset strip kind of hair metal moments to it that are a little more, I guess you'd call it commercial sounding. Um, what, what about you? What did you, what did you hear? Yeah. I mean, it kind of clicked for me once I found out that these guys are, are death metal musicians because um, it's, it's got all those things you mentioned, but it's definitely got a, a production and a riff writing style that's really grounded in the low end. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how far these guys are tuning down, but it sounds like little ways. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it's got, it's got something that, you know, I kind of have been wanting to hear more of actually, which is kind of traditional heavy metal, but kind of played with a bit of a death metal sound profile and a bit of a, a little bit of that death metal kind of riffing ethos. Yeah. But even though this stuff is like kind of an ode to the eighties style, the way it's recorded and played, it's actually really heavy and really tight. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you can tell just like within, you know, 15, 30 seconds of hearing this album, it sounds great. It sounds really heavy. The drums sound really punchy. There's great separation. The guitars sound aggressive. It's, 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 there's a, a they've really made this, the band sound great. Um, and the riffing is really cool, really catchy. However, we have a problem, um, which well, is um, the vocals. And this is something that, you know, I've read a couple reviews of the album. I usually don't read reviews of the, the albums that, that we do, but I was kind of curious about this one. So I read a couple and, and it seems like there's a lot of people coming down kind of hard on the, on the vocals here. And, um, you know, as much as I want to be encouraging, especially of vocalists and especially of unusual vocalists, um, I would say that it does constitute a pretty weak link, especially when you're com- compared to some of the stellar aspects of what's going on here. Um, we've got a vocal delivery that just doesn't really cut it. Uh, and yeah. and, uh, and we can get a little bit in, into the details of, of why I think that is and how that comes into being. I don't know how much people want to hear me nerd out about vocals, but, but we can do that. Um, but the but long story short is what we've got here is, is a vocal delivery that's kind of, it's a little raspy, it's a little breathy, um, and it just doesn't really have the kind of force <laughs> necessary to 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 uh, match the the instrumental forces that are being brought to bear here. It's just a bit of a a tight kind of breathy sound, and because of that, it's got trouble staying in pitch. Um, and so I found this unfortunately despite all the elements I like about it. And there are a lot of really great elements about it. I found this pretty hard to listen to. Um, I, I don't disagree. Um, I, I, I would say that um, it, it's interesting. Like the going from um, last week, we talked about, you know, Midnight Spell. And that production is very loose, very raw. Um, this production is the complete opposite. Um, it's tight. It's polished. Um, it's very clean. Um, I love the production on this album. I think they did a masterful job recording this. The guitars, the tones are awesome. The bass is just thunderous. Um, the drums are huge. The guitar, the guitars sound great. Um, they're, the tones are awesome. They're mixed well. All the levels are really good. Like you said, all the parts are, se- are separated well, um, but they sound like they all should be on the same record. Um, I, love the, I love the riffs on this album. Um, I love the bass player is really good. Uh, you know, the drummer is really good. Um, I, I think a lot of these songs are incredibly well written, but yeah, I have a, it, I, 
I couldn't get past the locals either. And it's not because it's not because I know there's probably some people out there going, Oh, you know, so they, the guy's just not like a Rob Halford type singer um, or whatever. They, that's why you don't, you guys don't like it. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, I love off kilter vocals. I really do. Like I listen to a lot of, of, of music. I listen to a lot of stoner rock, dude. And there's some weird ass vocals in stoner rock. I, 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 I I love the obsessed, you know, listen to Wino sing. He's not like your typical classic style singer. A lot of my favorite singers do not sound like that. The problem is, um, I it it feels like this guy is like trying to sing. Um, there's nothing, I I like his melodies. I like his, the, the, some of the passages and stuff. I like how he wrote a lot of these, these, this stuff, but it's all off key. Like none of it is like just, just about like 70% of the record is not sung in key. And the one thing I wish, like, I wish that he was either, uh, and we talked about this offline uh, mm-hmm. beforehand. And I said to you, when we were listening to this album, I said, I wish he was either a, a, a fair bit better or a fair bit worse. And by the way, what I mean, like it's a fair bit worse. If he just went like full Lemmy with it or like algae board from tank or something where it was just like, you know, a little more rough around the edges where you don't, it, it, it's either A, it's easier to sing things in the right key when you're, you know, doing stuff that's not so demanding on your voice, or B, you don't, it's harder for the listener to notice that it's not in key because <laughs> right. it's, it's gruffer, but he's, there's a lot of these songs where, you know, this, kudos to this dude for just going for it. He lays it all out there. He is singing his ass off, but missing the mark spectacularly is basically what we wind up with on a lot of these songs. Yeah, it's um, and a lot of it, I think, is just because of the vocal delivery. And, and this is interesting um, to me to kind of see how someone who specializes in harsh vocals is going to try to transition to clean vocals. Um, so I went and checked out um, the band Gruesome, which is uh, the other project um, of the, the, the guy who sings for Pounder, whose name I forgot to write down. Um, but... Uh, I'll look that up right now because I want to make sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm bad with names, dude. Yeah, right. I'm looking. All right. Bringing up the encyclopedia here. Um, right. So uh, we're talking about Matt Harvey. That's right. Uh, yeah. so, so Matt Harvey's the the seemingly the front man for a band called Gruesome, also out of Southern California. I think that um, it's it's very much like a death worship kind of thing, but, but they have their own going thing, kind of thing going on that's it's different from chuck you know especially the vocals uh matt harvey's vocals for that band are very kind of deep guttural kind of sound he's really getting into the back of his throat and doing a kind of thing Mm -hmm. and what that means is a lot of how harsh vocals are made they're not actually made with the vocal folds they're made by passing air through the tissues in the vocal tract kind of creating that white noise by just passing air through it Ah, right and so that's really different from how you'd approach um singing on on a pitch singing clean vocals you don't want it to be breathy you want the air you're putting into it to all be used to create the vibration of the vocal folds so you don't want there to be that kind of hissing quality because that means it's, it's you're not making an efficient sound. Now that you mention it, I can hear that yeah. on this record. I can really hear it. Yeah, exactly. That's 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 the breathiness. You're hearing the extra air that is not going into 
uh, allowing the vocal folds to adduct. Um, basically, like singing on a pitch happens because you your, your vocal folds are two pieces of tissue that uh, when air passes through them at a certain rate, it creates like a um, kind of a standing wave vibration of the, the, the vocal folds coming together and parting at a certain rate per second. So imagine like, you know, when you see a flag flying and, and, and the wind's blowing really hard and it starts doing that like <laughs> kind of thing. That's essentially what your vocal folds are doing together in the airflow coming out of your lungs. Got it. Um, and when you're passing a lot of extra air through it, it's impossible for the vocal folds to adduct, which means to come together. They can't come together efficiently because there's too much air in the passageway. Um, and so because of that, if you're too breathy, it's hard to make a clear pitch. And that's kind of what we're going, what we're seeing on this album with this guy's singing, unfortunately. And the other thing about that, and part of what makes it so hard for me to listen to is just that that much air passing through your sound is not healthy for the voice. It puts a lot of strain on the voice. And so this doesn't sound like something that this guy can maintain for a long time to me. Mm. It's likely that if you were to keep doing it exactly this way for years and years and years, it would just get worse. And eventually you might not be able to really sing at all because that kind of singing with that much extra breath is really bad for the folds. It's right. different when you're singing, when you're singing like just harsh vocals because then your vocal folds aren't coming together at all. They're just kind mm. of hanging out there while ah, the air is passing through them you know, and they're not trying to come together. But when that combination of too much air and, you know, trying to push the folds together, it's, it's not so good. Yeah. So that's what makes it hard for me is because I, I, I hear that and I get kind of a sympathetic, like, ooh, a little bit of a pain in my throat. So it's physically uncomfortable, unfortunately. Um, and that's, <laughs> that's just, you know, my thing as a singer, I, I'm not saying that it's not, as you said, like the, the planning of it, the way the vocal lines are written, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, the lyrics are fun. Um, it just needs a bit more of a of core to the sound. And this is something that like, he might be able to figure out in voice lessons, you know, it, it's possible. And, it, and, and just cause you do harsh vocals too, doesn't mean you can't also do clean vocals. I mean, look at, you know, all the singers now who are able to transition between those styles. It's just got completely different techniques mm. um, that you don't really want to blend them together too much. You don't want to be putting too much air through your, your throat um, if you're singing clean vocals and you don't want to be bringing your vocal folds together too much if you're singing harsh vocals because that's bad for the voice. So yeah. he can either figure that out maybe with, with uh, technique or I don't know. I mean, simple solution. They could just maybe hire a singer and that's someone who's, that's their entire job because I mean, the aesthetic that, that this album is evoking to me, and you look at the album cover and you've got that like shiny silver logo, you know, uh, and you've got, you know, some of these songs do have synth parts and they've got backing vocals and the whole thing is well considered and precise. Yeah. So there's a slickness slick. to it, uh, which is why I think, you know, in this case, like that Lemmy thing might not work, even if you went all the way that way, because it would be a weird match with the slickness. It might, yeah. I mean, they're... oddly enough, I mean, you know me, I, I'm a bit, I'm a fan of like, I mean, I don't like overproduced albums, but I like albums with production on them. I'm generally not a fan of like the real basement sounding recordings. So just those don't usually do it for me. 
Yeah. But I'm also almost of the opinion that that might have done this some shit some favors, you know, as far as that aspect goes. Like, because that is part, that is why the main reason why the vocals aren't working is because the aesthetic of this album, the production, um, everything about it screams like really shiny, really slick, um, throwback to the 80s, but it's like not like, underground metal it's like throwing back to like almost like the radio days of the 80s you know like mtv era headbangers ball and shit you know um and you you expect you you, your ears kind of want a virtuoso singing over top of that or at the very least like somebody who can be in key and you know and that's that's the thing that gets me i mean the i i I know what you mean now that now you point the breathiness out like i can really hear that um but the other, the main problem for me vocally is just it's not in key most of the time. Um, it's not like you know when we talked about Midnight Spell last time. I was like a couple of the high notes are pitchy, and it's like who cares? You know that dude was nailing it like ninety eight percent of the time. And if there's yeah. a couple of notes on an album that are pitchy, well, at least that shows you that he actually sang the shit and he didn't go in and have somebody dial everything in for him. Um, when you're missing this many notes, it's just you can't do it. Um, and you just it doesn't fucking work no it, and it's it's it just is unfortunate because it just feels like a lot of wasted resources on the other aspects of the album that work so well yeah um so to me like the, the best solution would be like they've got a great ensemble they've got a great songwriting team and and matt harvey who's doing the vocals clearly is a good guitar player and awesome guitar player as i've said before you know when you're uh when you're like writing up your your musician's stat sheet kind of if you're going to be playing guitar full-time in a band that's going to significantly reduce the the kind of mental and physical resources you have uh to put towards being a great singer and a lot of the bands in the 80s sound as polished as they do because everybody had their own job and stuck yeah i mean like i would love to hear like the dude from striker sing these songs or something like that a guy with that kind of voice would really kick this shit over the top but you know i don't know a nice opportunity too for somebody like me with a lower voice like i remember it's kind of one of my thoughts hearing this was like i kind of perked up at first hearing the detune the the down tuning a little bit and yeah hearing the vocal range she was singing in i was like oh this is cool like this is the kind of thing Mm -hmm. you know that i mean i could sing these parts because they're in my range and for someone with a lower voice that feels really nice but um unfortunately in this case i think that that's a that may partially be an effect of like limitations on his ability to hit those higher notes. Correct. And that and, that's, yeah, and I felt the same way when they, when the vocals came in, I was like, Oh sweet. Something different. Something that's not like, you know, uh, the usual high range shit that we get from like newer band, like yeah. tra- traditional sounding bands all the time. But unfortunately execution wise is where it falls short. Yeah. And it's, and clearly these are good musicians and this isn't a kind of thing where it's, it's not an ear issue. For, for Matt Harvey, it's clearly a vocal technique issue. It's not that he can't hear where the note should be because he's like writing good vocal parts. If he's, yeah. I mean, it's that like physically the vocal technique is not able to produce very clear, mm-hmm. pleasing tones, unfortunately. All right. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I think if they were able to either find someone else to sing, it would, it would just be a bonus. Um, or if he wants to really like, go to the woodshed with a voice teacher. That's, that's an option too. Yeah. I mean, I think, and I think both of them would probably work, but you know, I'm not wanting to harp on them too much for now. Uh, let's dig into this thing, I guess. Um, so the first song on this record is one called spoils of war. 
And I really like the guitar intro that came uh, at the beginning of this song. Yeah. I think it's a cool, it's, it's unique. It's a good statement to start the album. It kind of makes you, you know, pay attention right off the bat. Um, then you get into like some new wave of British heavy metal style riffing. Um, you know, this is remind this one evokes, you know, images of tank and angel witch and shit. Um, yeah. and it's like some classic little like maidens sequences. The harmony. Yeah, you got like the you got, like the the, the cool like melody, and then it goes with like a more staccato riffing part. Um, so it adds a little bit like uh, a punk rock to it, and the vocals come in, and I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, and I, I kind of I, when I first heard it, I was thinking like, oh, this is, must be like a punk kind of thing, and this particular song. I think is one of the ones that actually works better for for the vocalist because it has yeah. a more of that punk rock kind of sound, and that's that's more of like what his voice can do. At first, it almost reminded me a little bit of um, like the guy from Dropkick Murphys. Actually, is what popped into my head is like that's a similar kind of vocal tonality mm-hmm. um, and a similar range. Yeah, so, so this- I don't, it's, it's a cool song. Um, again, you know, we're not. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to talk about how the vocals are in every song because that's the waste of time um yeah. but you know i i thought it, i thought overall it was it was cool uh great intro um but and then the next one i really like too uh it was breaking the world which is i guess the title track i mean anything yeah. in six eight i'm gonna have a good time with this one yeah exactly yeah it's, it's got a great headbanging riff the lyrics are all about you know i think i had something about like wall of amps scream it's a headbanger's dream i think was one of the lines in there um mm. And it, it, yeah, that riff really completed it. I liked that idea. You know, breaking the world's obviously a very like uh, vivid image that they put on the album cover too, with someone like tearing apart the planet. You know, and I guess yeah, if I were gonna tear apart the planet, I'd probably do it in six eight. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, it's, it's pretty anthemic. This song. Um, yeah. I, I the, the bass and the drum groove that they got going on was sick. I really like that. Um, really featured that rhythm section well, and the backing vocals are awesome. On, yep. on this on this album and on this song especially the backing vocals are really really fucking cool really well recorded really well timed um yeah this is this is a rad song man um it's just yeah it, it just kicks ass i don't know what else to say um, yes this, this checks all the boxes for me things that i like six eight time um wicked drum and bass groove you know cool backing vocals damn solid riffs cool guitar melodies everywhere i mean this is an anthem this would be a great one live yeah, I mean, the, the backing vocals really are like a, and, and I don't know exactly like how the, how the division of labor is on this, but the, the backing vocals are quite good throughout the whole album. They are. And if we're kind of like ragging on the vocals a little bit, it's worth keeping in mind that the backing vocals are really good. So I don't know if that's something the lead singer is also doing and coordinating um, or whether it's the other guys singing, but it, the backing vocals sometimes sound so good. You kind of wonder like, well, who's singing those? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know, man. That's just, I don't know why. I don't, I don't know. I don't know why those are really good and the lead vocals don't do it for me. I mean, but yeah, but that's a really good song. Um, the next song, Hard Road to Home, I think is probably my favorite on the record. Um, this song rips, man. Uh, that intro riff is really cool. It yeah. also reminds me of a budgie song. Um, and I think like I think the vocals on this track are actually pretty good. Um, they they were a lot less. Um, at least I was no I wasn't noticing them being out of tune as much on this song. I definitely noticed it. It's not like oh they were great on this one and none of on the other ones. But the, that pre-chorus is super catchy. Um, yeah. And the chorus itself, like 
a lot of times, like, I hear pre-choruses that are catchier than the chorus. It shouldn't be that. Your pre-chorus is supposed to lead in. But this one, like, the pre-chorus is super catchy. And the chorus goes, like, right next level. That chorus is awesome. Um, this, is my, uh, this is my favorite song on the album. I think this is a really, really wicked tune. And, yeah, I think of all the songs, like, the singer does sound, for me, sounds the best on this one. Yeah, I think that's just a, a matter of, like, the vocal writing. It definitely works. It, it, it works best here. Um, and some of that's just that it's it's playing to his strengths. It's not trying to do too much. Yeah. Um, his diction is good. You can always understand him. Um, yes. And, and it, it sounds best when he's not trying to sustain a note too much, when mm -hmm. it's more like, uh, you know, a quicker quicker rhythm. And Yeah, there's a quicker delivery in this song. Yeah. That's, that's true. So... I remember that I noted the bridge for this is really great. Like this mm -hmm. has a great extended um, and you can really hear, I mean, when this band when gets going and they're all playing and trading licks and, and it, they really kick ass. Like this is a fantastic group of musicians. Yeah. Um, I love, there's like a sort of thin Lizzie homage kind of going on in the bridge right after the, the guitar solo, where they like get that uh, more reedy kind of guitar tone, or, you know, tone and they're doing the guitar minis with that kind of like, kind of thin lizzy thing early oh day. yeah absolutely um yeah they um yeah they absolutely crush it on this one this is super catchy super badass um and it, it's there's a lot of really cool little so creative things going on um i think it's a really good uh take on you know the new wave of british heavy metal it's a good take on 80s and 70s rock too um a really cool tune um God, what's the name of the next one the next one is the uh, one with the synth intro, right? Yeah, never forever. That's right. Um, I was surprised to hear that, and it's a cool as hell intro. Like, yeah. I was like, damn, that's like a lot of times, like bands will put synth stuff on their records, and I'm like, just get that out of there. Like, why are you, why are you trying to make a parody of '80s music? But right. this is like, this comes across really honest and cool, and it is '80s as fuck. This song, yeah. it's like, you know, but but it, 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 as it goes on, um, it uh. It, it morphs almost into a power metal territory. Um, the vocal melody of the verse is cool. Um, and the ideas vocally are great here. Again, it's not what I'm going to harp on, but they're just not executed well. Yeah, there is like a backing vocal lick is kind of the most catchy thing about this track. And for me, after one lesson, it was like the catchiest thing on the album. This little, never forever. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's got a hook in it, for sure. It's got a good hook. Overall, I like the groove too. This is this is definitely one of the highlights for me. Ah, me too. Um, just in terms of songwriting and um, as kind of a love letter to like a bunch of these '80s styles. Um, mm -hmm. A little bit of that Sunset Strip, but it's got the like darker quality to it. The synth intro is really cool. The the harmonized background vocals are really cool. Um, and you know, I, I the main lead vocals didn't bother me as much on this one either. Um, yeah. These are the, these, I think these two back-to-back -back that we just talked about are the strongest two for me. But some of this stuff, like, this track especially to me, it was just like, it sounds so good. Like, if they had the right singer, mm. I just, people would really be noticing because it just sounds so damn good. And it's, it's the song's really fucking good. Yeah. You just can't really tell. Um, yep. So. I know, that, I, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> And it, it, yeah. it's, it sucks to have to say that because I, I wanted to love this record. I really did. Um, and I love a lot of things about it. Um, but yeah, and, th and this song, this song should be a hit. Yeah. 
Like, if the execution of the lead vocals are better, this is a hit song. And, you know, at least as far as underground metal goes. If you, can, yeah. if you want to call, like, a hit song in underground metal these days. Um, but, you know, that's the unfortunate part. That's the, over, that's the overarching narrative of the whole thing. Yeah. Um, again, don't want to harp on it, but I, I definitely thought that song was cool. The intro, like, the synth thing came out of nowhere. It hit me. Uh, lots of catchy stuff in here. Just, unfortunately, the execution isn't there. Yeah, it's one that feel like I think this this song does kind of encompass all the different contradictions that this album has going on. So yeah. you know, it, it's it, it has the to me something that's odd about this album is just that it's got a, a weird juxtaposition between something that's very clearly underground and kind of a bit of a DIY aesthetic, and like it has this very sweaty kind of death metal club kind of feel to it but at the same time like some of the aesthetics and the lyrics and the songwriting are this kind of like bright clean and that may be intentional you know that might be the the, the that may be what they're going for that could be like the formula they're trying to work with um again i don't know if that works <laughs> yeah i don't know either but it's one of those things that i could just imagine like if they manage to get the right blend of it yeah Maybe like a couple albums down the line yeah this is only album two i mean yeah. and they, they they put this out not long after their first one so you know they're they're, they're still a relatively new band um but moving on to the next well first the title as soon as i saw the title i'm like this sounds like a shitty porno movie um, <laughs> the baseline is cool but dude that's straight up the riff from over the mountain by ozzy osbourne you can't do that you can't fucking do it and they did it like I don't mind taking bits and pieces from things, but that is an iconic riff, and you can't do that shit. I'm yeah. sorry. I <laughs> just being real. Like I hate it when bands do that, and this is a personal thing. Maybe maybe some people think I'm overblowing it, but I, that just drives me crazy. Like it may be intentional, it may be not, but you have to self-edit. You know, like you you have to like be maybe this is close, but it's too close. You know. Um, it's funny. I didn't. I didn't notice it until you mentioned it, and now I'm like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, it did. It, 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 I was like, I actually like yelled at the fucking stereo when it happened. But you can't do that. Um, I do like the start stop riff in the chorus, though. Um, it's 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 again. It's got that eighty. This one has more of a sunset strip vibe, and the the chorus riff where it's like got that kind of start stop thing with the bass and the drums rolling underneath it. That part's really cool. Um, they, they, again, they're going 80s, but they're not making fun of it. They're not being too cheesy. So I appreciate that. You just can't rip off iconic riffs like that. So, <laughs> again, sorry, I just can't. That's, I'm, and I'm never usually, that's the only thing in a song that people can do that will literally make me be like, this song's bullshit. And that they did it. So, yeah, it, it, even not noticing it, it didn't do a whole lot for me. Like, it, it, had a potential to have more of that kind of punk style to it, but I don't know. I mean, as usual, the rhythm section is killing it, though. Oh, dude, yeah. The performances, performances. Of, of all the musicians on this are great. There's nothing wrong with any of the performances on this song, even though I don't like the song. Um, and again, everybody out there, this is just my opinion, okay? Like, I'm not trying to turn you off. You should check this record out if you want, but, you know, it's just my opinion. Um, but yeah, the performances on this song are great. Um, all the riffs that aren't uh, uh, over the mountain are great. Um, the the production on this one is, is great too. And like I said, I love that. I actually really love that chorus. But you know, again, questionable vocals and some plagiarism. You know, I just don't think it's a very good song. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, the, the to me, the next track, Give Me Rock, that it was the, the low point of the whole thing for me. Um, yeah, I don't like this song either. Yeah, it's they're trying to go for something a little bit more anthemic, um, more major key, and kind of like an ode to rock and roll, but just the, the vocal melodies that have been written uh, and, and, the, and the kind of subject and the atmosphere it's trying to create just kind of throws the vocal style into stark relief. Um, because it, it, I don't know, something like this that kind of has a high cheese factor does take a certain kind of... Um, Je ne sais quoi. To, to pull off. off. Yeah, exactly. And, and this, this did not have it. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, yeah, the, the, the bass line is sick in this yeah. song. I, I, I like that. This, whoever's playing the bass on this album, man, you, I, you, you fucking rule, dude. You're awesome. Um, the got me on this one was the lyrics. Um, you know, I, I, and I like some cheese. Like I have a man of war tattoo, dude. I like, (laughs) I like cheesy lyrics and, you know, as we've discussed before, it's been interesting since doing this podcast with you. I actually listen to lyrics a lot more intently. It's kind of some switch to my brain. Um, (laughs) they don't always register with me. Like, I think, again, I guess I've talked about before. I don't always, I don't usually find heavy metal lyrics interesting. I think they're cool, but I don't usually find them interesting enough to need to read. But this song had some vocals that were like, was that one line? It was like, I need it hard. I need it fast. I need it right now. And it was so <laughs> weird. First of all, that line's hilarious. But at the end, it was weird. Because if, if he never said, I need it hard, I need it fast, I need it now, it would have flown better. But when he put the right now in there at the end of it, it really made the delivery That's sound true. bizarre. Yeah. And I was like, they just it was just a strange cadence um and i just cringed i was like that's no dude um yeah yeah i'm, I'm gonna be honest I, I found i did not listen super carefully to this because i just heard it and was like i don't think i'm gonna if i say i'm not gonna find something nice to say about here so i'm just gonna kind of skip it yeah and, and it, it's, it's 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 the low point it's it's try. i see what it's trying to do it's trying to like bridge that gap between like you know metal and sunset strip vibes it's they're trying to kind of do it in the metal anthem but they got a little bit of docking going on in there um a little bit of hair metal and it's just it's it's not working on this track um unfortunately it's also the worst vocal performance on the record i think um it's the one where i really you know upon for i I try not when i listen to these albums that we're gonna do i try not to pass a judgment the first listen the first listen i just listen to it straight through and i don't actually think anything or write anything down or try not to form an opinion just absorb it and this is the one where i started to notice the vocals yeah. like when i got to this one i really started to notice the vocals being a bit off and you know unfortunately it's just it this song doesn't work something that occurred to me though is, is i thought was interesting is that the production on this is so good in every way but and we've talked about what some of the like maybe performance deficiencies in the vocals are, but the production's really not helping the vocals at all. That's it's exactly really, what I, that, really dry. You, you just hit what I was talking about. Um, kind of on the, you, you hit what I was talking about earlier when I thought, said, so, you know, if the, oddly enough, I think the slick production is working against this dude. Um, yeah. Because it, everything else not only is slick and really polished and per, almost honestly, it's perfect sounding. Um, everything sounds perfect. And the vocals do not, and they don't 
you're right. They don't have a lot of massaging or bells and whistles on them at all. They're just kind of raw. Um, so that makes them really stand out. And I don't think the production really does them any favors. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's bands out there and I won't mention any names, but, but bands where the singers really, the isolated track would not sound good at all, but like production wise, they're oh, being man, held hey, up. How about that? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, everyone's exactly. heard those videos on YouTube. Like, right. David Lee Roth is not going to sit on the street corner and sing you an acapella song and wow you, but he can certainly kick some ass in Van Halen. Right. Yeah, because everything else is, like, built to support that. Sure. But, um, exactly. Yeah, there's just – as a vocalist, I feel like it's tough to listen to something like this, and it's tough to talk about it because I certainly wouldn't want anyone, like, saying this kind of thing about my singing. And, hey, I mean, some people might. You never know. But um, but it's uh, it's also hard because it just sounds so exposed by the production. Like just more more doubling, more reverb, more uh, more kind of burying it a little bit in the mix would all help it not become such an issue. Yeah, probably. And, and the production um, is so spot on and everything else that I think it's odd that the vocals are are kind of like left hung out to dry in this way they are a little bit um and they, they like i said in this song it's really noticeable um but again this is this is album number two and these dudes are veterans but you know it's just this is this is a little it'd be mean, like you said this is a very fixable problem you know yep. the guy either has to like go figure out how to hit these notes or they get a new singer and at that point they have a spam one of them honestly if they rectify that and don't rip off another Ozzy Osbourne <laughs> Then they got like one of the most smoking bands going in, the yeah. fucking, in heavy metal. Like these, instrumentally, this is one of the best bands on the circuit right now. Yeah. Like straight up. These guys are killers, man. They're awesome players. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I think they, I hope they, I think they will get, get that together. I don't mean, I don't know how, if this is like a side thing for the dude when he does his death metal stuff for the most part, I don't know what, his meal ticket is versus what is you know passion project i don't know um so yeah but with i mean just finding the right person could really take them to another level i mean yeah just knowing how many people in the traditional metal scene are hungry for this kind of thing yeah i mean it, it's and, it, it does it definitely production wise and music wise um and maturity wise this album sounds mature you know yeah it has it, there you can hear the experience on it when it comes to the production, the playing, the recording, the writing. Um, musically and production-wise, it is a cut above, like if you're gonna lump these guys in with like the new wave of traditional heavy metal, like all those elements are cut above almost everybody else. Um, yeah. that's, that's the reality here. The unfortunate thing is that the, the vocals are just, and, and some questionable, maybe a, a bit of one questionable songwriting choice is kind of kicking, kicking the shit out of me when it comes to trying to really love this record. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it really could be, it could be fixed. And then, yeah. you know. I am interested to hear done. the last one now, though. I want to hear, I want to hear the last one. I didn't hear the, their first debut. Um, I am interested to see what's going on there, if it's any different or not. Um, I remember checking it out back when, when Skeletor played with them. And, and it's, uh, I don't know. I don't remember, I don't remember well enough to really say. I don't think it's, it doesn't sound quite as impressive uh, production wise. I will say that. Fair. But um yeah, it'll be interesting to hear what they do because, you know, the guy who's singing now certainly would be useful as, as a background vocalist being able to do those harmonies and he could kind of like kind of so be back there working on his yeah, deal a little bit. And let's set the record straight here. It's not like this guy's the worst singer in the world. You know, no. he's got some pipes 
and he's got a voice. It's just for what he's trying to do here, it's just not quite where it has to be. Right, um, the combination of the image, the songwriting, the vocal writing, the production, the way that the band's playing, it's all not working. I mean, clearly yeah. the guy is an accomplished vocalist already in the extreme metal scene. And there's probably some other styles he could do in, in, in a project that was more geared towards that. It's just that it kind of feels like uh, it's not the right fit for this. Band. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, moving on to the last track, uh, Deadly Eyes, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. um, this has, this has some weight. This, this song almost like is thrash metal. Um, yeah. it, it really speeds up. There's some real frantic riffing in it. Um, it's a cool fucking tune. I really like, I like this one. Um, I thought this was a really, it really made me happy listening to this after not digging the previous two. Yeah. So like for me, there was a bit of redemption going on here. Um, I kind of like to see some more of this stuff from these dudes. Um, yeah. it, it probably is a little bit more in their wheelhouse being extreme metal guys. Cause it's a little quicker. Um, they play this shit without any trouble, you know, and, Playing this precise and that fast is not easy when you're trying to like keep it melodic at the same time. So, you know, my hat's off to these guys on this one. This is a wicked track and it's a great way to end the album. And, you know, the vocals are pretty good here too. I mean, they're, they are less noticeable um, in here probably again because it's a bit of a faster delivery, but yep. I thought this was a really cool closer and, you know, a good end to, you know, musically a very good album. Yeah. It, it ends an album on a positive note. There's some cool gang vocals on this. Yeah. Um, I like the way they've arranged that. And, you know, one thing I like about this album, it's 35 minutes long. You yeah. Know, it's, it's not wasting your time. No, it, 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 didn't, it did, doesn't piss around. Um, you know, it, it, didn't, it, didn't, it didn't wear me out listening to it. Like, you know, again, it's just that I didn't care for the vocals were the only, the vocals in the Aussie riff, the only thing I didn't care for. I actually love the rest. Like, I love the riffs. Um, the lead guitar work is great. I love the harmonies. I love the how they're playing the new wave of British heavy metal stuff with a modern twist. Um, I love the backing vocals. I think the bass player and his sound, his tone is spot on. Drummer's awesome. Um, everything's awesome. They just need that vocal to click. That's it. Yeah. And then if they, if, if, they, if they somehow make the vocals really, really be up to par with the rest of the band, and these guys are like, you know, they're, they're like top – top five on the, on the traditional metal circuit going these days, if they can get there. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the potential on this is, is crazy. So I, you know, despite having, you know, said some rough things about the vocals, um, it is what it is, but I, I still would recommend checking this album out just to kind of get a sense of what these guys are about and, and to hear some of that playing. That's, that's really spicy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and recommend it too, even though like, yeah, we, we kind of harped on the singer a lot and, I kind of had a, had a little hissy fit about Hard City, but um, you know, I, I, I definitely I would recommend it too. This is a band to keep on your radar. You know, this is a band who could definitely do some things in the future. Um, and you know, they already are. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people who kind of like off kilter vocals who might dig this. You know, some. I mean, a lot of people say they don't care. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, maybe this is a test for some of those people, but you know, some people will still find something to enjoy here. Um, if you're if you're mostly in it for the vocals, then probably you can give it a skip. But if you want to hear some really good um, heavy metal instrumental performance, then definitely check this out. I guess I'd probably recommend either doing uh, "Breaking the World" 
or uh, Hard Road to Home, starting with yeah. one of the two of those tracks. And yeah, I mean, I, I think I would Hard Road to Home is the one song on this album that I probably might add to my iTunes and revisit because I do think it's a pretty fucking cool song. Like, I, yeah. I, I do think that's a, a wicked tune. Um, but yeah, hey, Pounder, you know, if, you, if any of the band members are listening out there, like, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, uh, I actually think that you guys are awesome. And I think that um, there's going to be a bright future for this band. Um, just, you know, whether you guys address, whether they address the, the issues we talked about or not, I hope they do really well. Um, and check out some of these guys' other projects too. Like if you're into old school death metal, Gruesome was, was pretty cool, at least from the couple tracks I checked out. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, that's the Breaking the World by Pounder. So, you know, even though we both have a few issues with the, some of the some of the aspects of the album, we're definitely telling you guys to go pick it up and check it out for yourself and form your own damn opinion too because you're not going to always agree with what we say. What we say isn't gospel. So go out and have a listen and see what you think. And let us know too. Give us feedback. If you think we're right, cool. If you think we're full of shit, tell us. It's all yeah. good. Um, yep. The conversation should be extended to everybody who's interested i think i agree i agree and if you're not interested well you might get caught up in it too <laughs> all right so i guess we'll move on from that um we are gonna go into our picks of the week now um this is a sec- segment where we pull an album out of our own collection and we present it and we talk about it so my album this week is from my home country of canada and it is the debut classic from the band pile driver called metal inquisition album cover man <laughs> oh dude this is one of the most amazing album covers ever and it's one of the reasons why i got it's one of the reasons why i got into it um i first heard pile driver in probably 2002 2000 something like that and i was listening to one of those internet radio stations i don't know if it was a pandora thing or whatever but i just discovered like internet radio right and metal inquisition comes on and it's like Dude, this song just kicks ass. It's it's such an anthem. And there's actually like like the the main line is like it says like we're the metal inquisition, we'll sentence you to death, and then a guillotine drops like and it goes by guillotine. <laughs> and it's so good, man. It's it's so much this album is so much fucking fun. Um so for those of you who don't know Pile Driver, um they formed it in 84 um by a guy named Gord Kirchin in Toronto, Canada. Um it's not where I'm from in Canada. I, in, uh, people out, we have a Canada have a bit of a rivalry with Toronto, where we are. Toronto's kind of like the New York of Canada, so they think they kind of think they're the center of the universe. But that's um, uh, neither here nor there. Um, Pile Driver put this album out on a label called Cobra Records, which I've never heard of. Um, and this is kind of their big only album they're really known for. They had two more. There's one called Stay Ugly, and then which. Let's face it, the guy on the cover is not a handsome man, so it's so it's, it's poignant. <laughs> um, and then he had another one that he put out like uh, long, a while later called Ugly Metal. So I don't know if it was like a mashup of Metal Inquisition and Stay Ugly or what, but that's what he did. So this is, this is a one-man project, right? Sort of. So that's, that's the funny story is that basically when this album came out, like they see me, I think they did like, a, there was like a gig or two maybe, and then this band just disappears and nobody knows what happens to them, period. And apparently, according to uh, when Gord Kirshen was asked, he was like, dude, I never had a band. Like, apparently this was just a studio project and 
he even like went so far as to make up the names for the other band members. Like he never had a band pile driver in the eighties when he put these records out. Um, he was, he resurfaced in like 88, um, the late eighties, early nineties. He had a band called dogs with jobs or something. <laughs> I, I don't know what that's all about. Um, but he did. So then, um, yeah, of course, like over the years, the internet kind of comes out and this was a, this was a real underground thing in the eighties. Um, it was probably a bit hokey jokey. I mean, if you look at the album cover, it, it really kind of is. Um, but then, um, you know, the age of the internet comes around and people like me, who was like, who were like 22, 23, and, you know, thirsting for metal and kind of exploring in retrospect um, albums from, you know, before I was really cognizant enough to understand what music was, um, started hearing it. And there was a groundswell of people getting into Piledriver and like, all of a sudden there's a call for pile driver to do shows. And that's when it kind of came out that he was like, dude, I never even had a fucking band. You know, this is just me goofing around and making a studio project. So, but anyway, he reforms the band in like 05 and they're now called, I don't know if it was a copyright infringement or what it was, but they became the exalted pile driver. That's what okay. they were called. <laughs> and he wound up playing like, they wound up doing a lot of shows. They played some big festivals. They played like uh Remember that it's one of those big festivals in like the Czech Republic, like Headbangers Open Air or some shit. Yeah, he wound up doing a lot of like bigger shows and having quite a successful um, little run. I remember there was a Noctis Festival in Calgary they played, I think, but I, or Calgary Metal Festival the two, but I didn't make it that year. Um, they used to love going to those shows, but this album, man, it's the the one thing is like the title track is kind of like what you know makes it, um, and but all this, like the songs on this album, like the names of them are just hilarious too. So, um, you know, like Sex with Satan, Alien Raid, um, you know, it's just, it's, 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 it's a really fun album. Like this is, um, this is just a wicked, uh, wicked listen. It's a good time. It's a good thing to put on a party for when you're drinking beer with your buds. Um, but yeah, if you like really fun, underground, cheesy, literal 80s metal, not like somebody trying to like re rehash it this is the real deal and look, look at the back dude like so is that the guy on the cover yeah with that's the guy outfit? that's Gord. that's Gord. <laughs> he's pile driver this are the names he made up for his band like pile driver vocals bud slacker lead guitar knuckles akimbo <laughs> rhythm guitar former lee former lee oh that's, that's former lee and Sal Gibson. Maybe Sal Gibson was a real guy, but yeah, I guess he just made all this shit up. Um, but he even made up like names for the crew, like Ivan Subhuman is his road manager. <laughs> Stan Helen Keller was his soundtrack. Andy Royd was his lighting tech. Cliff Show Me Again Breach was the drum tech. And Gunther, Gunther Pitts Swenham was the guitar tech, apparently. It was produced and, and engineered by someone named Bud. So, oh. yeah. Uh, I guess he was in Islington, Ontario, which I think is a suburb of Toronto. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's really, it's really an interesting, um, really, uh, really an interesting, uh, well, actually this was put out on HME records. Cobra records, I think is their new label. I think I got that backwards. Um, but yeah, this is a fun, this is a fun listen. Um, it's actually like, it's not, it's not like, it's, it's silly, but it's, it's not, it's not poor music by any sense of the imagination. It's, these guys are bad, bad. He's a badass musician and the songs are, are really good. So Piledriver Metal Inquisition, if you don't know it, 
Better get it or you'll be sentenced to death by guillotine. Yeah. I kind of want to check that out now. You, sh- you should. Like- I, think, I think you'll have a great time with it, dude. I think you'll really like it. Cool. I'll definitely check it out. It seems like that like one-man band kind of thing was a little less common back in the 80s, right? It was not really a thing, no. It was not, it was not as much of a thing. Because now it seems like, you know, half the projects you hear about, it's like, oh, it's actually one dude. Well, it's easier now. You know, like all the technology and whatnot, you don't have to like go, you can actually like rehearse the tracks separately because you can record it all digitally and stuff. So it's easier for people to do that nowadays. I think it was probably almost impossible when you had to cut tape back in the day. Yeah. Well, this week I brought something that's not underground by any stretch of the imagination. Um, This is definitely like a mainline rock record, but uh, Deep Purple's Burn. Oh, so um, good, dude. Yeah, it's uh, so a little background with me and Deep Purple. I, I can't really claim to be a big Deep Purple expert or anything. There's still a lot of their stuff I haven't really checked out. Um, I kind of know the story, and, and it's Deep Purple's a band, of course, that has a lot of connections to other bands in rock and roll. Um, you know, obviously, Rainbow, White Snake, um, Sabbath, you know. Um, so I, I knew about them, of course, because who doesn't, you know, know about Deep Purple? I think I first kind of got into them on my own because of Opeth. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's your Keepers of the Flame bingo card right there. <laughs> Rev mentions Opeth. But, um, yeah, they did, Opeth did a cover of Soldier of Fortune, the song from uh, Stormbringer, uh, at the end of that record. And I, I really loved that, so I checked out the original version and got kind of into it. And then uh, I remember coming across the... Uh, that video of child and time from, I think it's 1970 on like French TV or something. Um, the live performance and just like what Ian Gillen pulls off there was so incredible. So that, that kind of turned me on to like what they were capable of. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of dug into some of the, I, I guess, Mark two stuff, you know, the classic Ian Gillen era. Uh, but I just like, I couldn't, a lot of the stuff I really liked, but I couldn't really get into the albums as a whole because I oh, don't there's a lot of diversity on them, which is cool, but like there's a lot of that kind of proto metal stuff that does sound a little awkward to modern ears, I think. Um, and a little dated kind of like you were saying before the show. Um, so I, I didn't really like, I knew I liked deep purple. I knew I respected them, but I, there's a lot of the details I didn't really know. Um, so flash forward to a couple years ago and I'm at a thrift store in Seattle and I find this album for $2. Um, and I'm like, well, I don't actually know what the story is with this one. Like the only song I'd heard on from this one before at that point was Mistreated. And I was like, well, that's cool. I mean, it's $2. It's a Deep Purple record. I'll check it out. Um, and of course, come to find out this is one of their best. I didn't mm-hmm. know that at the time. Um, but, you know, I put, I dropped the needle on it and I was just kind of amazed, especially based on what I'd heard before. I was amazed at just how not dated this album sounds oh yeah um this one and kind of since then i've gone in and explored some of the albums surrounding it but this this is like a really nice in-between point between the kind of like more raw earlier deep purple sound and then you know they got a little too poppy after this especially once blackmore left but this is kind of right smack in the middle of it this is the first album they did with david coverdale and glenn hughes um and so it was a big upheaval for them big lineup change 
And I think everybody was kind of just like hungry to, to kind of prove themselves the new lineup. Mm-hmm. And there's a great energy on this album. It's all killer, no filler. Um, the title track is just amazing. Like it's bombastic, dude. It's bombastic. Yeah. It's one of the best drum parts in rock and roll history. Yeah, I mean Ian Pace just goes nuts, absolutely nuts on it, and it's a, it's not necessary. It's not called for, but he does it anyway. Yeah. It's awesome. I think I think I my one of my favorites on that is Mistreated. Yeah, I think oh, Mistreated is such a good song. Oh, it's great. Yeah, and it's a uh, it's a blues song, really. Yep, hundred like percent pure classic blues but like with that heavy metal kind of extra shit in there mm-hmm. um track i think my favorite track on this i just really love sail away yep it's got that one. really cool just like mid-tempo kind of funky driving riff it's yeah and i love it when richie blackmore does that stuff it's a lot like uh, man on the silver mountain you know and this yep. similar kind of vibe to the riff but uh but it's got the cinematic quality to it. Um, the harmonies on this album are, are, I think, the best out of any Purple album. Um, in part because, like, they kind of had two lead singer quality singers on this album with Coverdale and, and Glenn Hughes. And, and I think part of what I like about it is it's really cool to hear two really good singers kind of trading parts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like on, on the title track, when Glenn Hughes comes in and does that, you know you have no time. Yeah, yeah. Um, He's awesome, man. Yeah. He is awesome. It's just really cool the way that there's a... You don't hear that too often. Because typically... And I guess really good vocalists are hard to come by. So it's it's rare that you get two in the same band. Yeah. Um, And even compositionally, I think it's interesting to have... like you know, one main singer and then someone else who's kind of singing little contrasting bits like the pre-choruses and stuff. And I guess the closest thing I can think of is, is bands that have like kind of a secondary harsh vocalist, mm. um, like Unleash the Archers comes to mind, how they have. Yeah. Three Inches um, of Blood, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know, what you, I know what you mean. And then like, I guess Kiss did a lot of that. Like all of their members sang at right. one point, whether they should or shouldn't is another story. <laughs> right. <laughs> Whoever decided to give Peter Chris a microphone, but you know, um, yeah, that, that is kind of a rarity. So that's that's a, it's dude, that that album is just the energy on it the whole way through is it's just it's one of their best. It just all I think it all came together pretty well there because you know afterwards Stormbringers really got a lot of great stuff on it. Like there's a lot of great tracks on Stormbringer, but I think mm-hmm. the whole thing doesn't hang together quite as well. Yeah. Um, Cause it's got more low points, even though it's got the title track and soldier of fortune. Yeah. Um, but this one, it's like every track is good. Even the ones you don't think of really like <laughs> Ian Pace's performance on you fool. No one. Mm. Um, it's like peak cowbell. It's like the yeah. most cowbell you could possibly get in one song without like blast beating on a cowbell. Yeah, it truly is. But, um, like Groovy gets the yeah. oh, it's so much fun. Yeah, uh, it's it's my it's kind of my go-to purple record. If I if I'm just if I can't if I'm just gonna put one on and I can't decide, I'll always gravitate towards that one. That one or Fireball, but usually that yeah. one. Well, this was just so it's it's so good. It's so smooth and it it flows really well. So it, it's great to put on when you're. Um, like we talked about uh, with Jeff with that docking album, it's a good breakfast making album. Yep. <laughs> Wake up in the morning, throw this on, it kind of wakes you up. It all sounds good. 
Um, there's not really any low points that are going to like take you out of the flow of the album. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of high points. So I don't know if anyone's listening who hasn't been able to get into deep purple or just doesn't know them. I mean, maybe I shouldn't say, cause I'm not a huge fan or expert, but certainly uh, no matter where you are with deep purple, highly recommend getting this album. Uh, it's easy to recognize cause it's the one where the band members are candles. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know how they came up with that idea. <laughs> know, dude, there was a lot. They had a lot of good drugs in the seventies. Yeah, that's basically what it comes down to. And, you know, cocaine wasn't so much of a thing yet. Everyone was still doing the fucking tripping on a loose yeah. So <laughs> right. they came up with some really fucking interesting ideas. I do like to think like there's a uh, yeah candle maker supplies. There's like an address on here for the candle makers. So that's I don't know. If, I guess if you wanted your own candles to be made, but. It is kind of fun. It's like one of those cool things, you know. You like make a candle and watch your own fucking head burn. <laughs> yeah, right. It's kind well, of they're, weird. They're like half melted on the back, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's some that's some drug shit right there. That's yeah. Although I do like to think about, uh, you know, the candle makers being asked to do it. It's one of those cool things where, as a metal band, every now and then you have a chance to like kind of support some other kind of art you know oftentimes in the form yeah. of cover art like mm-hmm. we get to commission painters or whatever and i guess in this case they actually like had a well, you think about artist. it too like back then they didn't have like digital art wasn't a thing so you either had to like your band your band cover could either be a painting or it could be a photo of you or a photo of something else yeah so if they wanted this weird candle photo they had to they couldn't like get someone to draw it. Like they just had to get the candles made. Yeah. So that's interesting. <laughs> just watch uh, that. Yeah. That's it's, it, it, there's some interesting covers from back then. Um, but I guess that kind of leads us into our topic this week. So deep purple is probably like the Kings of lineup changes. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they definitely have more than a few. Um, so we are going to talk kind of about album change, like like lineup changes and um, how that affects a band, you know, in their writing and their performance and their image. And, you know, it's definitely, you know, speaking as a guy who's been in, I've been in, I don't know how many bands now, quite a few. Um, well, I guess the serious projects I've been in one, two, three, four. Um, every single one of those has had a lineup change. Um, one of the bands, I was the lineup change. Um, so I've kind of like experienced it on both perspectives. And yeah, it's not an easy thing. Um, no matter what, whether the change is for good or for bad, um, it's definitely a difficult thing to figure out because, you know, if you're not in a band and you don't know what's what the deal is, like when you're in a band with people, it's kind of, it's, a, it's, a rela- it's an interesting relationship that kind of goes beyond friendship i don't know you could call it family i guess um but you're kind of like you're you're sharing not only are you sharing common experiences but you're sharing common goals you're sharing common aspirations you rely on each other um it's definitely an interesting um bond you create with your bandmates and when somebody leaves or is fired um it's 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 an interesting feeling it's always a mixed bag of emotions and Sometimes it can reinvigorate you as a lineup going forward. Sometimes it can drag you down because, or it can reinvigorate some members and drag down others. Because some times some people are happy and some people are not. So it's a very difficult thing to manage. Um, and 
you know, I've, I've had to be, unfortunately, most bands I've been, fortunately, unfortunately, I guess, most bands I've been in, I've been kind of the guy that's had to hire and fire people uh, for the most part. And, you know, firing someone is never easy. Having someone quit is never easy. It's always creates a lot of fucking, it creates friction. It creates emotion and it disrupts everything that you're doing. Um, so some bands handle it well. Um, I like to think my bands have handled it pretty good for the most part. I think so. Um, but looking at the big grand scheme of things, there's definitely some bands who, you know, have somebody leave and it, um, they, they don't deal with it very well. Um, it can be curtains for the whole thing if you're not careful, depending on the role and then the change. Yeah. You know, one of the weird things about being bandmates with someone, and, and this is something I kind of joke around about, is that a bandmate is almost like every other kind of human relationship kind of weirdly blended into one in a yep. way. Because like you're kind of like coworkers, but you're also typically sharing a little bit more emotionally than you do with coworkers. Um, at the same time, a band may or may not be like kind of an oddly compartmentalized part of your life. So it's odd with a bandmate because you're dealing with the creative process, which is really intense. Um, and if you're on tour, you're going to be kind of like weirdly physically intimate with some roommates. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you may or may not actually know that much about their lives outside of the band. Yep. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's a really interesting kind of blend of, of other relationships that you might encounter in your life, all kind of... But that's it's kind of part of the fun too. It's, it's just creating relationships that work in that context, yeah. um, and sometimes they don't, you know. And, I, and of course, there's other reasons for people leaving bands too. Um, yeah, money, ego, um, wanting to do something else with your life. I mean, I, th I think every, every time someone's ever left a band, it's probably always been a valid reason. You know, I don't think no one leaves a band because it's so awesome for them to be in a band still. You know. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean not usually, and it's 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 tough. It know? is, and I imagine especially when you're making a living. I mean, I was reading a, an interview with Ian Gillen talking about Deep Purple and just talking about how like there's all those great players in that band, but there's all those big egos, and they just. He said, you know, before he left, they were all just acting like assholes. He included himself in it. He was like, there was just yeah. like a band culture of everybody acted that way. I mean, yeah, and I think when a band operates on that level, it starts becoming like a work culture. Yeah. Like when you go to band practice, you're going to work. You're yeah. not like, it's not like when we go to band practice on a Friday night and we're all stoked to see each other. And we've been working our fucking jobs all week and, you know, slaving away for the man and doing that. And then we get to kind of go let loose on Friday night and play some heavy metal for them dudes. It's like, that's how they make their living. And all the, all the decisions are important. All the decisions, not to say that decisions in smaller bands aren't, but like they carry a lot more weight when that is going to be the thing that pays your bills and keeps your roof right. over your head. Well, um, because showbiz is gambling to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't really know how creative decisions are going to, you know, go with the public or what's going to be popular what's not it's it's and that's stressful not knowing yep and i mean i think um a lot of times people kind of say like well you know a lot of times people like band like people are replaceable you know some people are replaceable but some people aren't depending on how big their presence is like a lot of times people say only oh, singers are, are irreplaceable or this guitar player i i and i i agree to a point i mean sometimes especially if one person is the creative voice in the, in, in the band, like, and they're gone. 
Um, the band's probably done. I mean, at least as far as it probably is. Um, cause that person probably owns the rights to everything and you know, no one, else, the other people won't be carrying on. But I mean, I think like one thing we noticed was, um, when we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we had Jeff from Gatekeeper on the show and we talked about the new Accept album. And it's kind of the weakest sounding Accept album in a long time. And a lot of the people around Wolf have left. Um, they, uh, you know, and, and the, the album they made that was really strong, Blood of the Nations, um, that was like just about, I know, minus Udo, it was pretty much OG Accept. Um, right. It was either like original guys or guys that had been around for a long time. And, you know, as much as people say, well, Wolf Hoffman's the, the guy, and yeah, Wolf is the guy in that band, but a lot of the other, them other dudes who are probably like helping him out or lending a lot to the recordings, they're now gone. And it shows because that album is not as good as the, the shit that have, they've been doing over the last 10 years. Like, not nearly as good. Yeah, this, I mean, because the, the, the synergy of the different people is part of what exactly. I mean, it, it can it can create um, when when one band member comes in and if they're not the right fit, even if they're sticking in the band, it can stifle creativity. It can make things really difficult, even for people who are very good musicians and very good songwriters, because the presence of these other people is not as good or the same as the people who came before. Um, it definitely like. You know, in any band, um, especially like in a rock band where there's like, you know, we're not talking about like an orchestra where there's like 60 people and people have to kind of like read their music and play their parts. Those people all have to listen to each other too. But because there's so many of them, it's a little more anonymous. Um, yeah. When you're in a band of three, four or five people, um, everybody's featured. Whether they want to be or not, they're featured. And all those people have to really in a rock band or a metal band you have to really interact with each other there has to be um some kind of good energy to uh make it work right um i think some bands can function without being best friends um kiss is one of those bands apparently paul stanley can't stand gene simmons which doesn't surprise me because gene yeah. simmons is a fucking dick and paul stanley is a saint so it's definitely like <laughs> doesn't surprise me that paul doesn't want to hang out with that guy um so, speaking of side note, Paul Stanley put out, like, a soul album recently. Yeah. Like, I don't know what to make of it yet. Like, I kind of like it, but it's just very weird. You know, I'll have to get you to listen to it and get your opinion. Okay, okay. Um, is, it, is it, like... It's not rock and roll at all. It is, like, he is fronting a big band. Like, he's got, oh. like, a choir and, like, strings and horns. and everything. It's, like, a straight-up, like, soul band. Huh. Cool. I mean, I'm down to check it out. I dig soul. Yeah, so I'll, I'll have to send you a link. I, I listen to it, and I guess I just don't know enough to know if it's good. But I love Paul Stanley. He's fucking great. But, um, I mean, there's a band that dealt with some interesting lineup changes over the years. Um, you know, Kiss had the, for the original four guys through the 70s. Um, and then in the early 80s, um, Ace Frehley leaves. And Peter Chris leaves. Um, and then... To their, I think, you know, I think that Kiss adapted mainly to, with the trends of the times. They adapted into more of a hair metal band. But I think they also did that partially because they had new, they lost two of their members. And, you know, Ace's guitar playing was definitely integral to their rock and roll sound. Um, Ace Frehley has a very bluesy, dirty, 
rock rock and roll sound to his guitar playing. And Peter Chris was the same way. He was like, he's a little bit jazzy, but he's a straight up like, you know, rock and roll drummer. And when those guys left and they got younger musicians, they adapted their sound. I think they basically said, look, we're not the same kiss we were with Ace, with, with Ace and, and Peter in the band. So we're going to switch it up completely. We're going to take them. They, they put out that one album, Creatures of the Night, which was more of a metal record. And yeah. oddly enough, Brian Adams wrote a bunch of those songs, which is weird huh. too. But I like what I've heard from that one. It's, like, it's a good album. But then they took the makeup off and they went full hair metal. They basically became like, kind of like a Motley Crue clone a little bit. And cool. um, at least image-wise, the music is different. But they, they totally changed their I – think, and I think part of it was, yeah, they wanted to make money and they wanted to capitalize on this hair metal thing that they saw happening because they're a money-making machine. They're a business. But also they had new members, so I think they said, well, we should do something new because we have – you know, Gene and Paul are the creative core of the band, but they're not necessarily the musical core, if that makes sense. They relied heavily on Ace Frehley's guitar playing. Um, and when that was gone, I mean, you're not going to find anyone who's going to be able to recreate that. So they just had to adapt. Um, and I think, like, you can look at Black Sabbath kind of did the same thing. Like, when Ozzy left and Dio came in, like, they thank God, because those last two Sabbath records were questionable. I'm sorry people right. like Technical Ecstasy or Never Say Die. I'm not a huge fan. Um, there's some good songs on there, There's some but. good stuff on it, but clearly the 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 – the whole formula. It was, was, it was not working. It it, they're weird records. Um, but yeah, then Dio comes in and bam, new band. Like, well, that, that kind band. of brings up, to me, it's like there's kind of like two basic paths to take, I guess, if someone leaves the band. And that's, do you try to fill the role with someone who can do a comparable job and who's going to be kind of of the same sort and maybe of a comparable quality? Or do you make a bold choice and you know go with someone who's going to definitely take things in a new direction and who's going to be a very distinctive new presence yeah um and and that's kind of i think the most basic question and you can see different versions at different times like replacing ozzy with dio was was a really different choice Dio was a yeah. very different kind of singer very different kind of front man who really brought a different kind of vibe to the whole band mm -hmm. um, and that's a bold choice and a bit of a gamble whereas I don't know except with um, Mark Tornillo right it's like he does kind of sound a little bit like Udo in some ways he can do the same thing it's, he's got similar qualities yeah. um, it's going to be recognizable so that's a more conservative kind of choice I think the most successful ones are the ones that go in a different direction uh, I think so too uh, like I, I just don't see like I, especially when even even if it's even if it's not like the main guy, like the main the lead singer or whatever that leaves, you know. Um, I, I think the ones like that that go in a different direction and kind of say, "Hey, think lineups changing, things are changing. We got to do something new." Um, those are the ones that are successful because not only does it adapt to the new person, but it also creates a fresh take on what they're doing. Yeah. Um, now that it doesn't always work. Um, but I think the ones like, for example, um, Judas Priest, when, um, Scott Travis became a drummer, um, mm -hmm. they made painkiller because Scott Travis is like, that's his style. He is a balls out metal drummer. So they adapted to, to not just to like, because that's because that's only what he did, but that was his strength. They had that ability to do that. So they turned it into a much heavier direction and went that way. Now, unfortunately, the, after that they decided to 
literally get a guy from a fucking Judas Priest tribute band to replace their singer. And that didn't go so well. And I don't think that songs on Jugulator are that bad. Um, there's some cool tracks on that record. I just think if Halford sang them, they'd have been way, 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 way better. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I think with Ripper Owens, they got someone who could like, who is really good at making all the different sounds that Halford could make or like making a similar. Honestly, and then some. But, like, and then, yeah. then some. He, he actually probably has a stronger, higher register than Halford does. Have you ever heard the song Cathedral Spires? No. It's the last song of Jugulator you should listen to. It has insane vocals on it. Cool. I don't think Halford would ever be able to sing that song. I should anyway. check it out because I, yeah, I don't hate Ripper Owens' voice. It's just that the like, the interpretive choices aren't as clear. And that's yeah. the kind of thing where, like, I mean, Halford can do all kinds of cool stuff with his voice, but, like, ultimately, no matter what you can do with your voice, you need to be someone who can, who has something to communicate, yeah. who's, who's going to make something interesting out of it. And that, that's, unfortunately, just what I haven't ever seen out of Ripper Owens is someone who can really, like, bring an interesting character to a song and yeah. tell a story well. And, and another interesting, like, and a parallel to that, one of the most interesting flips of a, of, of a singer and it doesn't work out but it's an interesting one is the blaze bailey and iron maiden experiment yeah um i'll go on the record that i i think blaze bailey is a rad singer um i do too yeah. i like his solo albums that he put out a lot um he had a band called Wolfsbane before he joined iron maiden that is a wicked band um i think he's a very good vocalist um i think the album, like the first album they did with him, I don't, I don't listen to those. I'm going to be honest. I don't really listen to those albums like at all. And, but like the first album that had a couple tracks like Man on the Edge and Future Rio and Sign of the Cross, I think was another one and The Klansman. There's like a couple like decent tracks um, from when he was in the band. But I think, I don't think that Blaze was the problem in those. I just think those albums kind of stink. I don't think it was his fault. The main thing that was the issue is the production. They sound terrible. And I'm a bass player, and there's so much bass on those albums that it, it is annoying. Um, so it, I think that overall, it, that was an interesting one because they got a very good singer. Um, I think maybe fans were hoping they would get, like, maybe, I don't know if Halford was still in Priest at the time. They were hoping they'd get, like, someone like him or something more famous. But either way, it just didn't work. Um, maybe, the, and I think the whole world was kind of going in a different direction musically at that time. Um, metal was going into like more of a threat, like thrash was kind of taken over. Um, I think Maiden was kind of seen as a dinosaur band by then. And yeah, know, I mean, it just was the wrong situation and it just doesn't work. I mean, people go, oh, there's those songs are actually kind of good. I'm like, no, nah, not really. Not when you compare them to like, you know, every Iron Maiden album that came before it, they're not very good. <laughs> yeah it seems like priest and, and maiden now almost made opposite mistakes in in um and to be honest i don't really know those albums that well just because like they're not that essential and i tend to you know focus on the stuff that is but i, I, sh I should check it out um, it's worth a listen but, there's, there's some moments on it it's not it's not the worst thing but it's not very good but it, it kind of seems like so priest chose somebody who could do all of the things that Halford could do and, and for that reason could like do the live set really well, mm -hmm. 
but who didn't really have enough of their own creative core to bring to the things, right? Yeah. Whereas Iron Maiden shows someone who's actually like a really interesting, intelligent singer who's got a lot to offer, but who wasn't actually able to pull off Bruce Dickinson's parts. Is that, and I think I think that that at that point, like Iron Maiden had kind of become the Steve Harris show. Yeah. And um, I don't think that Blaze, I don't know if Blaze was writing his own parts or not, but it doesn't sound like it. Yeah. Um, so that was just a big failed experiment. And, you know, I think Blaze is, I think I'm a big fan of his. Like that, that solo album he did called Silicon Messiah, I think is fucking brilliant. Like a lot of those solo records he did in the early 2000s were brilliant albums. And yeah, Wolfsbane before that, like check that band out. They were killer. Okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was another interesting example where it didn't work. I guess the most famous example where it does is ACDC. Like, yeah. you know, ACDC loses, like, an iconic frontman. Like, Bon Scott is, like, the bee's knees. He dies, tragically. They get Brian Johnson and release, like, one of the biggest selling hard rock albums ever. Yeah. You know, Back in Black is just, like, a monster album that, like, you know, it's one of the biggest albums in any genre of all time. And... I, they did change direction on it too. Like it, it became less rock and roll in a way, like less bluesy. There's still some bluesy numbers on it. Like rock and roll ain't noise pollution is a very bluesy number, but they started doing stuff that was a little bit more um, riff oriented. So, so, so we speak, they kind of continued what they started on highway to hell mm-hmm. and stuff became a little more focused on the guitar riff rather than like a blues song. Yeah. And, yeah, Brian Johnson just had this crazy, like, unique voice and this, like, vicious fucking vocal attack. And they, of course, went on to, like, have, you know, that's one of the biggest careers in the history of rock and roll. So that's the most famous example of a band, like, taking the ball and running it with it when they could. And I don't know. And Bon Scott was such a unique person and a great singer. And I think he's a better singer than – I prefer the Bon Scott era myself of ACDC. Yeah. But there's no denying that when they made the switch, that's when they had their commercial success. And well, it was, that was a choice that was like, I guess almost a balance of the two things. Like Brian Johnson still has his own distinct presence, right? Mm-hmm. And, and personality. But it's, it's, the approach is not so totally different. No. Like they're, they're, they're compatible, even yeah. though there's, there's, it, he had his own strong personality but also like compatible enough with the ethos of what went before that it still seemed like a, a coherent transition. Yeah. Um, which I guess is the ideal, but of course that's hard for any band to pull off. Yeah. Um, and it does seem like when in doubt, it's probably better to go the bold way, even though sometimes- I think so too, man. Ask. I think so too. You know, I mean, even when you look at like, I mean, you could talk about Ozzy Osbourne's solo career, which I guess is a bit different because it's a solo album and it's kind of like him with yeah. a bunch of guys. But he kept, you know, he starts off with one of the greatest guitar players of all time, you know, and that guy tragically dies as well. Um, He was apparently going to quit playing professional music, though. He wanted to open like a music teaching school. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's the super tragedy thing is that that was like going to be his last tour. And then he was going to go home. He was going to open a music school and basically teach kids for the rest of his life. And then, of course, he had the accident and, you know, didn't make it. But, you know, Ozzy unearthed, like, J.K. Lee and, like, most famously Zach Wilde after that. Um, like, he just kept – somehow kept – I guess it's just the resources because he was such a big rock star 
at the time. Yeah. To keep well, he's a survivor. He'll just like do his Aussie thing in any circumstances, as it he turns is. out. He's, he's one of the like, he is one of the most unique characters in 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 rock and roll history. Like yeah. he, you're right, he is a survivor. Like, you know, not many people can get kicked out of a band like Black Sabbath and like probably have more commercial success after they leave. You know, like, well, as I understand it, I mean, Sharon deserves a lot of that credit too. Like, yeah, she's a brilliant, she's a smart lady. Yeah, she's got like the business acumen and and kind of, I guess, the more consistent kind of planning brain to kind of make up for Ozzy's like, you know, craziness. <laughs> she can take his so, insanity like, and like direct it in one way. Yeah, because it seems like she was kind of making a lot of those calls and kind of like setting up the the relationships that needed to be set up for that. Yeah. For that to work so that Ozzy had a fertile environment to do his thing. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, one of those partnerships where there's kind of like the, the person in the background who's actually making a huge impact that you don't necessarily see. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's funny. It, it, something this brings to mind is, you know, back when I was like a, a teenager, I listened to Nightwish Um and especially because I was first starting to study classical voice, you know, people in the metal seem to be like, oh, like you're, you're an opera singer. Do you like Nightwish? Because they were like the band with the opera singer, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but when uh, Taria left Nightwish, I remember thinking like, what are they going to do? Because they're like the band with the opera singer. But I really don't like as someone who studied classical music, I know I really don't want to hear someone who's like, kind of an opera singer no that's gonna sound like ass it usually does yeah. um and yeah. and and taria what's her face taria turnin um is actually you know classically trained and and able to pull that kind of stuff off so i remember like being so relieved when nightwish just went with a pop singer it seemed like the honest thing to do like hey we're kind of a pop band so we've got a pop singer and i actually saw them on that tour the one time I ever saw Nightwish, but with that, uh, with the pop singer, Annette, I think her name was, yeah. um, is, and um, it was, they kicked ass. Like the energy was so good. They were just having so much fun in terms of like shows I've been to. That was one of the shows where the band was just like having the most fun. Everybody was so freaking happy. It was infectious and it couldn't help get into the crowd. And it's, it's partially because they had like made a bold choice and just decided like, we're going to go with this sound. That's like, kind of 180 degrees in some ways from what we were doing before yeah and um i was impressed at the time and now nightwish has done its own thing they've got another singer now who's kind of a blend of all these different things and that, mm-hmm. that's all cool um i haven't really kept up with them but i do remember being impressed by that choice like let's actually not try to replicate the unique situation we had before and just try something totally different uh mm-hmm. and i think in general when in doubt that's probably the way to go I guess sometimes, like, there are some examples, like, when you talk about Iron Maiden again, um, but I guess they, they they changed vocalists twice. And, you know, when they went from Deano in the 80s, and, my, and I'll yeah. come straight on, on the record that subjectively, my two favorite Iron Maiden records are the first two. Yeah. I absolutely love the Deano records, but objectively, the next ones are better. <laughs> Be real about it. Like, they're incredible, and they're, they're much more successful but they kind of like, they kind of, their sound was evolving, I guess. But I mean, Number of the Beast is, you know, it's, it's elite maturity wise, but it's along the same lines as the self-titled and Killers. Um, they just leveled up and I think they just got a singer that they, that could do a lot more stuff. Yeah. Um, and then that's, that's just 
without him, they wouldn't have been able to make that jump. So then sometimes you get, you know, bands who need to, I mean, maybe this goes back to the album interview this week, but there's bands who just need to make that jump from where they are to where they need to go. And they need another person to get there. Yeah. And I think that was Maiden's case. And I love Paul Diano. I think um, <laughs> I got a funny story about that, uh, that guy. So uh, I do love Paul Diano. And those two albums are two of my favorite albums in heavy metal history. So several years ago, up in Canada, back home, they, uh, Paul Diano was being booked in town. He was going to do a solo show, mm. but it was all going to be Iron Maiden songs. And, but he doesn't have a touring band, right? So he was coming up here to do, um, well, I guess he does in Brazil. He lives in Brazil or something. Um, but he didn't have a touring band that was going to be able to come to Canada. So what they did was they were like, well, we'll put together a band and um, they'll be your band for like the three shows you're coming here to, to do. And they're paying him an obscene amount of money to come here. So guess who was the bass player for that band? Yours truly. Um, <laughs> So I sat around and learned this set, learned this set. Turns out Paul Diano gets arrested for committing insurance fraud because <laughs> he was claiming he, he was working a day job and he claimed disability from the, from the government. And then of course the Brazilian government saw him on TV at a festival bouncing around in front of like 10,000 people like, Wee! <laughs> oh, no. and the, apparently insurance fraud in Brazil carries a jail sentence, a hefty one, because he was locked up for like a year and a half. Wow. So I didn't get to, I didn't get to, I was very much looking forward to that, to playing with one of my favorite, some of my favorite music with one of my favorite singers, but I didn't because he went to jail. With the <laughs> because it was insurance fraud. Yeah, for insurance fraud. Not a very metal thing to go to jail for. Um, you know, it's but, interesting listening to those, uh, the first couple of Maiden albums, because it almost like, Diano's approach almost like makes more sense with the way the instrumental parts are produced, mm-hmm. at least on those albums. And, and to me, like, I'm not saying that Number of the Beast is not great. I'm not saying that Peace of Mind isn't great because those are both amazing albums. But for me, I, I kind of prefer the albums kind of on one end of the 80s or the other. Like I kind of like, I, I love Iron Maiden and Killers, but then I think my favorite Maiden albums are actually like Somewhere in Time and Seventh Son because by that point they had really adapted their sound and were a completely different This is band. an interesting thing for me because I've never been able to like Somewhere in Time. I like Wasted Years, but the rest of those songs don't do a damn thing for me. And I, I don't know why. I've never, I've never, a lot of like the younger generation of metalheads now like think that's the fucking best thing they ever did. Um, yeah, I really like it. And I guess it's, um, it's, it, it's, it's my least favorite one with Bruce. And, and, I, and I put that dead at the bottom of the pot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I even like um, No Prayer for the Dying more than I like that record. Um, that's just that's just a personal thing, I guess. Um, I do love Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. That's a yeah. monster fucking album. I think that's my my favorite, but I I really do I like Somewhere in Time a lot. And I guess it's just uh, it's it's really it's catchy. It's a very melodic album, um, and it's got a really consistent kind of drive through it. I I like the way it flows, um, and it's it's got some good singing on it. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah, it, it's it competent. Sounds great. It's got good harmonies on it. Um, I mean, there might be a time for me to. Part. There might be a time for me to revisit it. Um, you know, I kind of formed a lot of my iron opinion, maiden opinions in my late teens, early twenties. Yeah. And, you know, definitely 
that's the softest Iron Maiden record if we're like talking about how heavy things are yeah. uh, by a long shot. So um, I have to give it a shot. I think I just I just didn't find them at the time. I didn't find them that interesting. It was just like, mm. like I, I love Wasted like, Years. That's a, one of the best songs ever written by anyone. But um, oh yeah, that song's incredible. But I, I I don't know. The title track's great. I love Stranger in a Strange Land. Um, Actually, I don't need to revisit it. I hate those songs. That's weird. <laughs> I just don't. Sea of Madness, I like. I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think it's um, it's definitely an album that's that's reflective of where they were at the time. So it's a yeah. lot of songs about being on the road. It's a lot mm-hmm. of it's about kind of being alienated uh, and feeling kind of like you're in a in a place you don't really belong, kind of belonging nowhere because you're kind of giving your life to music like it's more it sounds a little bit more personal to me it's got a, sure. apart from alexander the great it's a little bit less historical um or like it, it doesn't have these like little catchy things that each song's based on mm-hmm. but you know i got that song when, or that album when i was um when i was first living overseas in the uk and i was on my own and mm-hmm. um didn't really know anybody and just i remember i went to the, the record store one time and just picked up that album and it, it just seemed like such a nice fit for like the scottish rainy winter it's kind of like washington mm. you know i'd listen to that album and just feel like you know i was on this kind of like journey that was epic but also kind of like you know lonely and kind of angsty at the same time so i don't know maybe it's just a good fit for where i was at the time but subjectivity but, man not everybody yeah. likes the same thing and just for whatever reason that album never never clicked for me um every other maiden record in the 80s did but uh that one for whatever reason just it just didn't really do much for me and I'm, I'm one of, but i'm one of those weirdos that i actually like no prayer for the dying which is kind of like the more maligned album of the first dickinson era yeah. um mostly because that one has a bit more of a rock and roll feel and i'm a rock and roll guy so yeah. I, I i liked it a lot i definitely see why people don't because there's some stupid songs on it but um it, it's uh, I, I like the kind of like more major chordy happier rock, rocky songs on that one but you know i think I, with my taste something that I, like a, a s- bad songs really kind of turned me off of the whole album, which is, it's not fair. Like it doesn't mean that they, the other <laughs> I, songs I understand good, what you're saying. But like, it, it does mean that like, I, I tend to favor albums that are consistent, even if maybe like their, their highs aren't as high as some other albums. I like being able to put on an album and enjoy the whole thing. Um, so to me, like, I don't know, there's some songs on like number of the beast that are just kind of awkward to me, even like invaders. Like it just, it doesn't quite like it, it's it's raw and it's heavier and I like that, but it doesn't flow as well. Whereas an album like Somewhere in Time, like yeah, it's it's true, it's not as heavy, and maybe it doesn't quite have the same bite. But over the course of the whole album, it has a really nice flow, and that's just kind of something. Yeah, I, I get it. Number of the Beast has "Hallowed Be Thy Name" though. <laughs> yeah, like, and it's true. Like you can't argue with that. I'm not trying to argue heavy with metal that. album songs ever. Like, yeah. yeah, and I, I like, can't. It's the best live song that I've ever heard any band do. When you go see yeah. Iron Maiden and you hear How It Be Thy Name live, it's a fucking religious experience. It's, oh, yeah. It's insane. Like, it's, it's not even, like, in my top ten Iron Maiden songs that I love personally, but when it's played live, it's kind of like, a lot of their songs are like that. Fear of the Dark is another one. That's, mm. that's a weird album that is a very strange one, but that song, Fear of the Dark, on the record is kind of lame, but... Yeah live holy shit it just can it for some reason it just connects live i don't and i can't explain it 
That would be an interesting like list to make sometimes. A song that like where the, the recorded versions don't really do it justice, but it's got like its true life is as a live song. Because there's yeah. some other tracks like that too I can think of. There, oh, there definitely is. Um, there's definitely a lot of songs like when you listen to a, a band can just bring, especially when a band gets better as they go, they like when they mature and they kind of hit their prime. And you hear them play some of their older songs. Um, like, I, like Metallica's a band like that. Like, I love the, don't get me wrong, I love, Kill Em All's amazing, and I love the songs off that. But when they kind of peaked around, like, 88, 89, when they were doing Justice, and that band, when they put out Justice for All, I mean, we all make fun of Metallica, justifiably so. But when they were hit their peak around 88, 89, and they were playing so good, like, everyone goes like, oh, it was, I don't think it was Lars on and Justice for All. Dude, he, it was Lars Ulrich on and Justice for All. Be, just shut yeah. the fuck up. Like, he's the drummer of Metallica. He played the record. Get out of here. Um, but when they were, like, if you watch the video from that tour from, like, 89 in Seattle, it's, oh, my God. Like, oh, that, yeah. is a, that is a band that is just out to conquer the world. And when they play those old songs, they play them with, they play them with so much more precision and they speed them up even. Like, Wh- Whiplash is a song like that. Like, Whiplash is a fun song. It's a fun song on Kill Em All. When they play it live in that era, it becomes like a completely different beast. It's a terrifying song when they play yeah. it live in that era. So good. Yeah, I've, I've seen that video and I actually seen the, the live in Seattle before I listened to Kill Em All. Mm-hmm. And so like, yeah, some of those tracks that I'd seen on that and other live albums like like Whiplash and Seek and Destroy, I was like, um, I, you know, I expected a certain thing. And then I heard Kill Em All and I was like, oh, this is not quite what I had. Yeah, because it's, they're younger and the production is like shoestring, right? Like they had like no money, so they could barely string enough money together to like get an album recorded. So it can be a little underwhelming in that respect. I totally understand. But um, yeah, so some, some of them are like that. But anyway, getting back to like the member change thing, it's just, it's, there's some bands too that just, it doesn't work for them. Um, Dokken is a band that comes to mind. Yeah. And that's because every single person in that band, Don Dockett, Mick Brown, Jeff Filson, who we talked about with Jeff at length, and George Lynch all are so integral and they all bring so much to the table personality-wise that if one's gone, it doesn't work. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, and I'm throwing Mick Brown in that category too. Like, you take his drumming out and put someone else in, it doesn't work. It's not the same. You know, they had a unique vibe and a unique sound going. Um and it just wouldn't work. I mean, I think Pantera was another band like that. I mean, of course, the one guy who unfortunately passed first was Dimebag. Um, so, of course, he's like the most integral guy to that band. But right. if Anselmo goes or Rex Brown or Vinny, like, that's it too. Because all those guys are just so, so important to that band. And they just would not be the same. And we saw that, like, when, when the Abbott brothers, like, split off and they made Damage Plan, that sucked. <laughs> Like, yeah. It was just, it was so, it was so bad, dude. It was just lame. Um, and, you know, they, they, didn't, they didn't have that, you know, Phil Anselmo, like him or hate him, and I kind of hate him, but um, he had that, like, swagger and that, like, you know, attitude that they needed to fit that, fit that music. And Rex Brown was that bass player that complimented Vinny's uh, really heavy – but really like loose rock and roll style, really powerful style. You know, Rex was that bass player who would compliment it. And when you take their playing and move it out, you put some of the guys from Mudvayne or whatever the fuck in that band. And <laughs> it just, it, 
no, man. It just didn't work, you know? And if you can't make a band work with Dimebag Daryl and Lee Guitar, I don't know, man. Like, but <laughs> Yeah, I mean, some that, bands, that was another band. They were just all so integral that you can't, you can't switch it up. Some bands are like that, you know, but of course it's, you know, it's bands that never have a lineup changer in the minority. And, and part of that's just that, like, having a uh, career in rock and roll, especially when it's not your main source of income. I mean, it's tricky. Even if it is your main source of income, it's just a lot of pressure. It's a lot, it's difficult to keep it up all the time. It's difficult to deal with the creative differences and it's, it's hard to keep a band together. Yeah. I mean, one band one... that, Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say a band that it's really impressive in that regard. It's a band that's kind of like on the edges of metal that I hear maligned a lot, but a band that I like a lot is Rammstein. And, um, that's a band of six guys that's been together since like the early nineties and they've never had a lineup change. And I was, I was reading an interview with them. And, and the reason is, is because they decided they were like, we're never going to have a lineup change. Uh, that's the plan at least. And that way, if anybody needs time off for another project and you know, if, if anybody needs to like take a certain amount of time on the album, we just give it to them because the most important thing is having these six guys in the band. Yeah. And that's and especially so true. For a six piece. That's true. in a lot of cases, man, like I think, some bands have managed to maintain um, through the years. Like Halloween had a lot of lineup changes, you know. Mm-hmm. But when, you know, and, and when um, Kiski left, I mean, they had and Andy Darris came in. Andy Darris is a great singer. Um, but they did that one Master of the Rings, but they still had Kai Hansen on guitar, I believe. But then when Kai left, you know, it kind of started to get a little bit weird. Um, Time of the Oath, though, that, that album rules. Um, but, you know, they, they, they definitely managed to maintain a career, but I don't know that they ever really captured the glory days right. of the Keepers of the Seven Keys era and, and all that shit. Um, Van Halen's another interesting one, you know. Van Halen, of course, David Lee Roth, of course, leaves. And, um, you know, they bring in Sammy Hagar. Sam Hagar's a great voice, you know, yeah. great singer. Absolutely. Better singer than David Lee Roth when you come from a singing perspective. Right. Um, and they definitely changed their sound. Um, they decided that, you know, hey, we need to, like, um, go do something that's a little more commercial, suits Sammy's voice more. Um, and, you know, there's the famous joke in the movie Airheads um, where it's like, yeah, the um, – where it's like, uh, what side – they ask the cop, like, if you're not a cop, what side do you take in the David Lee Roth Van Halen split? And he's like – <laughs> like Van Halen, like he's a cop. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like if you like the Sammy Hagar stuff, you must be a cop. But I like the Sammy Hagar stuff myself. Like I actually quite enjoy it. It definitely is a little less raucous, a little less rock and roll. It's a little more yeah. nice, so to speak. But I enjoy it. You know, there's like some of the songs are I, I don't want to listen to, but you know, like the song like Pound Cake has one of Eddie Van Halen's best solos in it. And I don't think it's Sammy Hagar's. Poor Sammy. He kind of gets like, that's kind of his legacy now was being like the guy that made Van Halen a little bit lamer. But like, dude, the stuff he did before that was so good. Like Montrose and um, that one song he did, he, he will forever, I will forever love him for playing the song heavy metal on the song, like, like on, on, that, on, that, on that heavy metal movie soundtrack. That song he put on there yeah. is one of my favorite fucking uh, songs of all time so well, that song is great i love sammy hagar and uh, you know van halen they handled it i mean whether your perspective is they kind of got a little bit lamer which they did there's no arguing that 
those that Van Halen didn't have the cool factor that they did before because they didn't. You can argue whether you like one era better or not, but they maintained and they were very successful and they put out some stuff that I liked. Well, and at a certain point, it is necessary to mature. I mean, in the case of a band like Van Halen, yeah, it's like a really true, fun like, up energy band. And, and, but David Lee Roth is not like, he wasn't the most consistent performer either. Oh, no. You know? I mean, but that was kind of part of the lore, right? I mean, right. like, it, that was part, part of the, the lore was like they, they were like this crazy party band. And, you know, the controversy was part of it. Like, that was like, that, that, was, that helped them strangely enough right you know because he'd be super fucked up and he'd be telling people off the crowd and just being a piece of crap really and um you know that 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 kind of helped the lore but yeah exactly you get to a point and you know like hey like it's it's 19 it's not 1978 it's 1988 are we still like these 21 year old swinging dicks anymore that want to sing about you know drinking and fucking and being idiots or are we now in like our 30s and kind of want to grow up a bit which, you know, that's probably like, you know, I, they, they had kids by that point and everything. And, you know, they probably decided to chill out a bit. And I get it. That's, at least it's more authentic than trying to be like the party guys still that they were in the 70s and 80s, the early 80s. Yeah. So, And I think like they – I think Eddie was probably also just so put off by David Lee Roth at that time, which I totally understand, but he was just like, I don't want anything to do with that kind of stuff anymore. <laughs> so – you know, it's uh, it, that was an interesting switch. What I find interesting is that people were almost more mad when Michael Anthony was put out of the band and not in the band anymore, the bass player, because he's an integral part of that band. Um, and you know, they got Wolf, Wolfie Van Halen. I like Wolfgang. I think he's a, I think he's a great bass player. I think he's a really cool guy. Like he's just like he comes across in interviews and stuff, like just like such a rad dude um but it just it, it just wasn't van halen at that point to me yeah. like if, if if michael anthony was in the band like if they tried to do the thing, they brought david lee roth back and and whatever like but it just to me i, I kind of regret not seeing them because now eddie's unfortunately passed i'll never get to see him play guitar yeah but um i think that that one just didn't work for for me anyway I mean, we'll talk about the time they had Gary Cherone in the band. We just won't talk about that. <laughs> well, regardless of, like, the musical quality, I mean, it does seem like the worst-case scenario for a lineup change is when it's traumatic enough that you end up with now different versions of the band. And it seems like everyone can agree that that's best avoided. Like it, That's the worst, dude. It should be made really clear, like, what band is the band. Like, I'm, I'm thinking yeah. of... Um, you know, another band I listened to when I was like a teenager is, is Rhapsody, right? Yeah. And, and I, I love that because that was like my introduction to power metal. And, and, and that's a band that like clearly had no fear whatsoever about like seeming not corny as hell. You know, it's just, it's just yeah. so over the top. And, and it hasn't really aged very well. So I don't listen to them much anymore. But, but now they've like turned into like, how many versions of Rhapsody are there? There's now? at least two, probably three. Yeah. I, mean, I think there's two versions of Dokken out there somewhere, but then like the original lineup will play once in a while in Japan when they need a big payday or some shit. Like, and that's that's always the stuff that starts to like sucks. Leave a bad taste in your mouth. Even, even yeah. um, like sort of the weird struggle over the legacy of Dio a little bit with like 
Yeah. You know, there's the Dio Disciples thing that plays with the hologram. I hate that, man. I hate that. Like, you know, if his widow needs to, like, do something to, like, make some cash, like, I'm certainly not going to not be supportive of that. I mean, everything I've ever seen and read about Wendy Dio is she's a sweetheart. And, you know, I certainly wouldn't begrudge her for trying to, like, make ends meet. Um, I think the Dio hologram would be a cool thing in the EMP. Yeah. You know, if it, or the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. If, like, you could go to, like, you know, the Museum of Pop Culture or the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and see hologram performances with your fucking heroes, that's wicked. I don't want to see it on a stage with a bunch of, a bunch of nerds playing to a click track. That's no. stupid. And, you know, the thing that gets me about, I don't know which one Vivian Campbell's in. Uh, I think that's last in line. That guy can kiss my ass. Hey, that guy's an idiot. He like he's in Def Leppard too, and he spent the whole time he was in Def Leppard bitching about how he didn't want to be remembered for the Dio era stuff, and now all of a sudden Ronnie dies, and now he wants to be a part of it. Well, Kel Supreme's mon frere. Like, <laughs> yeah, and he's like trying to just looking for a damn payday. And he's like, this is the real Dio legacy band. And it's oh, like, where were you lost. 10 years ago? Here's another, here's another story from my youth. So um, I got gifted um, Def Leppard tickets. I think I won them on a contest or something. I don't remember when I got them. But they were second row on the floor, dead set center in the PE Coliseum seats. Like, we are right up front. We're like, ten, we're seven, eight feet from the band. We're right there. So Vivian Campbell's playing with them, and he's right in front of us. So I said to my buddy, my buddy came, came with me. He didn't know. He wouldn't know a Def Leppard song if it hit him in the face. We, 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 were, we were fans of the first two records, and, you know, I kind of became a fan of their popular stuff later because I mellowed out and stopped being, bro, it's just got to be true metal, bro. <laughs> I kind of, like, got over that. And I was like, yeah, some of these songs are pop songs, but they're pretty fun. So I like my Def Leppard. But anyway, um, we're sitting in front of the DVD Campbell, and I says to my buddy, I says, hey, you see that guy up there? He's like, yeah. He's like, that's the guy that was a guitar player on Deal's albums, like Holy Diver and Last of Mine and all the classic shit, and he played all those riffs back then. He's like, no. I'm like, yeah, man, that's the fucking guy. So for whatever reason, like, the song ends, and, like, the lights go out, and we started, we screamed a bunch of Dio stuff at him, like, Holy Diver, last in line, fucking Dio rules, dude, or something, right? And the lights come up, and he's pissed. Like, he is like, like, just looking, right? And it's like, in the crowd, it's like, girl, 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 dorky dude, girl, two guys in Iron Maiden shirts, girl, girl, girl. Like, <laughs> I wonder who the fuck said it, right? It was clearly us, and he's staring at us, like, burning a hole, and I'm like, what's this? Like, this guy's pissed off, dude. I'm like, so we were just like flipping them off. And then we just kept doing it the whole show. Cause you know, 23 year old me, if you show me that something bugs you, I'm going to keep doing it because it's very funny to me. So we did this the whole night. Like we heckled him with Dio chance the whole night. Like song would end and we'd be like, Dio, Dio, Dio. <laughs> and other people started doing it around us because they thought it was funny too. Cause he was glowering at us the whole time. So he gets, he literally did interview the next day for bravewords.com and was bitching about it like 
oh man, it's cool these guys remember those songs, but those songs are stupid. I didn't even like that kind of music. And, you know, they shouldn't be paying attention to that. They should be listening to my new stuff I'm doing with Def Leppard. It's like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. I'm going to stop listening to Dio. I'm going to listen to a Def Leppard album that came out in 2003. Yeah, and yeah. at it, I'll hug some snakes. I'll hug <laughs> and kiss some poisonous snakes. Yeah, I've heard We Rock too many times, so I'm going to listen to Def Leppard in 2003. Yeah, I'm going to just, yeah, right. exactly. I'm going to listen to, like, the <laughs> X record or whatever the hell it was back then. Come on, man. Like, you did something awesome back in the day. Like, if he had just looked at us and, like, given the horns or, like, pointed and winked, we would have shut up. Like, just, and, and what, so what gets me is he's, he's that guy at one point. And now Dio passes away. And all of a sudden, whether it's, whether it's through grief or want for money, he's all about it. And I'm like, no, dude, I'm sorry. You're not all about it. You're all about the money. Yeah, I mean, that's why, like, I don't know. If you do something and people care about it, then it's best to show that thing respect. You know, even yeah. if it's not really your thing anymore, you know, if, if he had just, like, been really respectful about it the whole time and if he had, like, not burnt some bridges, I think that would look kind of different. It would be a different look yeah. now. But. Oh, yeah. If he had just moved on to Def Leppard and been like, yeah, like, I love playing in the Dio band back in the day. And then if he put together a tribute – it would have seemed honest and heartfelt and I would have been all about it. But yeah. knowing how he acted about it for 20 years, you know, 20 plus years, it doesn't, it doesn't sit so well with me. Yeah. But, you know, that's just one guy. You know, he's not that important. <laughs> well, and I, you know, I guess Dio went through a lot of, of changes and it, I, I think it, it turns out that in Dio it's the rhythm section that was really indispensable. We talked yeah. about Dream Evil um, a couple of weeks ago and, and I think that album's fucking great because... Vinny and Jimmy out. do. Those two. Yeah. I'm telling you, that is my favorite rhythm section in the history of them. That, that, those two and also Bill Ward and Geezer Butler, that's my top rhythm sections of all time. Oh yeah. Those guys were just... They were so in tune with each other. They played so intelligently. They could get fancy when it had to be. They'd strip it down when, it, when the songs needed that. They were just, man. They, you, you could, and you could tell that they loved playing music together. That was the cool thing. And even though Dio has a reputation of being like, I, when I, was, I met Vinny once, and he was, man, he was such a nice guy. And he, he said, like, you know, even though Ronnie was tough to work with, because he was, because Ronnie was a perfectionist. And he wanted things a certain way, and it was going to be his way, and that was kind of it. His name's the, – the band is named after his name, so whatever. Yeah. Um, he said that those guys always had a blast together. Like, it was always super fun playing with Jimmy. And, you know, I, it, it shows in the playing. Yeah. And speaking as a bass player, like, when you find a drummer that you really enjoy grooving with, I guess it's the best, dude. It's, it's so awesome. Um, I guess that's the thing that's interesting with like with lineup changes too. There's also like a different degree of public visibility to deal with. Cause if you're switching out singers, it's the kind of thing where like your average person with no musical training is probably still going to be able to tell the difference because we're more attuned to listen to human voices. But for, but for example, the difference between heaven and hell and mob rules where it's just, you know, Bill Ward versus Vinnie Apice. I love both those albums. I love both those drummers, but it's the kind of thing where it makes a really big difference when you're yes. attuned to that, but your average person who's maybe not as accustomed to listening to the subtle differences might 
not even tell the difference. Yeah, you, well, yeah. I mean, and I think the difference between those two albums is like Heaven and Hell is a bit more, it's more of a relaxed vibe to it. Um, it's more atmospheric. Um, like the the, song, the 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 tempos aren't so high. Uh, mm-hmm. Mob Rules is I love that album too, but it's it's, it's the tempos are it's it's more upbeat. It's more up tempo. The rhythms are driving a little harder. Um, another great album in its own right. But yeah. It, that that change, like you said, to the average fan, it's less visible. Um, it's not as in your face. Um, it's noticeable. It's very noticeable if you listen to the two albums. But you're right. Like I think a, a, a singer being changed is probably the most um, the thing that people will see and notice the most because vocals are the first thing that your average listener hears when they listen to any record. Mm-hmm. So. For better or for worse, um, you know, our, our friends and it's all over the internet now. So our friends in Gatekeeper, you know, Jeff, who was on the show a couple of weeks ago, they're actively seeking a new singer now. Um, and I'm, I'm really hoping that they wind up finding somebody that helps them go to the next level. So, yeah, if anyone's listening out there and if you're a virtuosic heavy metal singer and you really want to get in a project that's kind of still not totally off the ground floor yet, and, but has some great opportunities to like tour make records, be on a wicked record label, like hit up, find, look up Gatekeeper and find them, man. It's like, that's a yeah, great absolutely. opportunity. That's a huge opportunity for somebody. That's a massive opportunity. Yeah, Cause those guys are great. And uh, they're a lot of fun to work with. I've sung live with that band a couple times and it's, it's a lot of fun. They're great players. They're great guys. Interesting songwriting. Yeah. That's a hell of an opportunity for sure. I didn't realize that was public now, but I'm, but cool. Yeah, I saw them putting up ads on the internet the other day. Yeah. So I was like, Oh, let's shut it up. And I think yeah, this, I'm excited but, to hear what they come up with. Cause I think, I think that that really could take them to the next level. It could. I mean, it, it's one of those things where I hope that, you know, as much as tough as, as losing a member is and having to move on, you can look at it as a challenge or you look at it as a problem where you can look at it as an opportunity. Yep. And if you look at it as an opportunity, then you have a chance to really do something special with it. So I hope, I hope that they get their guy. And I think they will. Jeff's one of the smartest guys I know when it comes to music. And I'm sure they're going to get a monster in there and they're going to make a great record. Well, it'll, it'll be fun to see that play out in real time. And yep. that, I think that what you just said, that really, uh, that kind of sums it up. You know, if you, if you find yourself down a member, then like, are you going to look at that as a problem or an opportunity? If you can look at it as an opportunity and treat it like an opportunity, then, you know, sometimes the greatest things are still ahead, you know? Agreed. Well said, my brother. Well, I think that's a good note to end on. Um, so that, um, that kind of wraps up our episode for this week. Um, tune in uh, next week for the next episode. And I believe we will have another guest on next week to join us for the entire program. So that should be a lot of fun. Um, if it doesn't work out, it'll just be us again. But hey, that's not so bad. So um, yeah, everybody have a great work week. Uh, try to take it easy. And uh, we will see you next time. Keepers of the Flame. All right, see you next time.